They're using the tax code to finance a Democrat social agenda. I don't want my money used to support the Democrat social agenda. How about you? Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Straight Talk Podcast with your host, America Sheriff David Clark. A couple of things we're going to get into today. First, a follow-up story. I talked uh, several podcasts ago about this, this Army private who fled into North Korea, who deserted the United States Army. The military in uh, South Korea crossed voluntarily into North Korean territory, and he was held for a little while, and then the North Korean government turned him back over. And I said at the time, you know, th- th- this can't, I couldn't believe how the State Department was handling this. Oh, our number one concern is to reunite Travis King with his family and his well-being, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, nonsense. The guy's a deserter. He needs to be treated as such. So now we find out some more. First of all, it's from a story. It says, an Army private who fled North Korea before being returned home to the United States earlier this month has been detained by the U.S. military Thursday and is facing charges including desertion and possessing sexual images of a child. Oh, Yeah, our number one priority is the well-being of Travis King, the State Department was saying. First of all, I thought too many resources went in into getting this guy back. They should have left him over there. He voluntarily went on his own. But anyway, I'm glad to see that they charged him with desertion and not being AWOL, absent without leave. Absent without leave would be a misdemeanor, whereas desertion is a felony punishable by up to three years. And what I would like to see is no plea bargain here, no plea deal. This guy should do some some time, some hard time for what he did, not only as punishment for what he did, but as a deterrent to others. So that's enough said on that. I want to make a few comments on this, this war going on in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. And I'm not going to... You know, I promised you when I started this podcast, I wouldn't be cookie cutter. I mean, everything that that can be said about this current conflict, you've already heard. You've heard others say, I just want to offer a few comments on my own. Some of them are parallel, but not not many. First of all, now all of a sudden there's a humanitarian crisis in Gaza as Israel amasses troops and, and... artillery and military supplies to move into Gaza and take it over. First of all, I support unequivocally anything that Israel is about to do or has done in order to defend itself from these brutal, barbaric terrorists from Hamas and from Hezbollah in the West Bank as well. But, you know, the media, and and let's be honest, the lib media, they are pro-Palestinian, which makes them pro-Hamas. And they're not even hiding it. You know, there was a time in this country when this stuff would go on and and the media wanted to hide their, their ideology and their true feelings. You know, they would do some of this stuff discreetly, but it's right out in the open now. 
They support the PLO. So, you, you know, we're getting all these sob stories about all oh, the women and children of of the PLO living in Gaza. Oh, we got to do something. Well, you know, I'm not that heartless. But I will say this, Israelis didn't cause this. Hamas did. And if there's any humanitarian aid, it should come from Arab nations. It should come from the neighboring nations in the Middle East. If anybody else in the outside world wants to give, fine. Including, you know, if the United States wants to give a little, I'm fine. I'm not for the amount that Biden suggested, $100 because he throws in aid for Ukraine and, 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 and everything else under the sun. No, I'm not for that. Give Israel what they need in a separate bill, and, and we'll deal with the other stuff later with, with Ukraine, and, and they've, given, they've been given enough. But anyway, this humanitarian crisis, and I want to slide now into the, what was thought to be the bombing of this hospital in Gaza that now turns out to not really being a bombing of the hospital. It didn't result in 500 casualties. It was an errant rocket from Hamas that struck a parking lot. And now that we know that, and we know what the media is about, so we shouldn't have been surprised at their reaction, but how soon they left the carnage in Israel from the Hamas attack. The 250 concertgoers left dead in the streets, people beheaded, homes invaded, babies beheaded. The elderly shot and killed, hostages taken. They just, on a dime, turned around and fled over to this supposed hospital bombing that they blamed Israel for. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to get into it. We now know what happened. And we shouldn't be surprised at what really happened. And we shouldn't be surprised at the behavior of the media and trying to blame this on Israel. But, but I want to say this about it more than, than who's to blame and so on and so forth. And, it's on the aspects of war. Ladies and gentlemen, war has been declared by Israel. And I think sometimes we forget about the ugliness of war. Now, I'm not so heartless that I don't care about the civilians that die in war. Hamas targeted civilians. Let's play devil's advocate, even if. Israel mistakenly bombed this hospital, which they didn't. They didn't target it on purpose. I'm saying I'm playing devil's advocate. They try to avoid killing civilians, but in war, it's going to happen, especially since Hamas hides itself and their rocket launchers and their military supplies among the civilian population to make it more difficult for Israel to target because then the the civilians and whatnot will be collateral damage, and then they go on their propaganda campaign. Israel does not target civilians. But if a rocket launcher is hidden in a mosque or hidden near a school or a hospital or a neighborhood, and it's sending rockets into Israel and Israel has to take it out, yes, civilians are going to be killed. That does not bother me. Not at all. Now, you can feel however you want. 
And I'm not heartless. But Hamas did this. And Hamas is doing this. But I want to read some something to you here quickly. This is on the genesis of war. This is from a book. It's a classic. Carl von Clausewitz. It's titled On War. And this this he's a war theorist. He's an expert. Carl von Clausewitz. This was written in the 1800s. And it says here, Clausewitz was in his early 20s when he jotted down his first thoughts on the nature of military processes and on the place of war in social and political life. Now here in part, it's a great read. It's a long, very lengthy read. But here's some some aspects of what war is. Chapter 1, what is war? War is an act is thus an act of force to compel our enemy to do our will. Here's the point I want to get at here. Kind-hearted people might, of course, think there was some ingenious way to disarm or defeat an enemy without too much bloodshed. And might imagine that this is the true goal in the art of war. Pleasant as it sounds, it is a fallacy that must be exposed. War is such a dangerous business that the mistakes which come from kindness are the very worst. That's what I mean when I say, yeah, I don't care. Like von Clausewitz says, you know, these acts of kindness cannot go on in war. You will lose. So, you know, anybody who thinks that, you know, this, this, you know, what is, Israel's doing and these calls for restraint, you know, oh, we no, 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 no. War is ugly. It's bloody. It's brutal. It's the reality of it. And if Israel is going to survive, they're going to have to take out Hamas. And if Hamas is going to hide in among the civilian population and hide their rocket launchers in neighborhoods and hospitals and schools, that's their fault. Enough of that. Now I want to get into some things here. A couple of items that, they're not the sexy ones that make the headlines, especially, you know, when I'm, what's going on in the Middle East is going to dominate the headlines. We, we we know that. And I'm not suggesting that what I'm going to talk about in these next few articles should be breaking headline news. But they're worthy of hearing about. At least I think they are. First one, it says, the IG, that's the Inspector General, federal government, to investigate federal offices left vacant by telework policies. Now, why did I pick this one up? Because several podcasts ago, I talked about this article where where the government spending over $3 billion to furnish these government office buildings that are empty due to the pandemic, people working from home. They're spending all this money for this office furniture for these empty, vacant buildings. So now, like I said, the article says, IG to investigate federal offices left vacant by telework policies. It says a federal inspector general has opened an investigation into telework policies that have turned some government offices into ghost towns, risking the spread of disease and raising questions about how agencies deliver services. Now, wait a minute. I thought the stay-at-home policy was to prevent the spread 
of disease, the particular one being COVID. So it says the Inspector General for the General Services Administration, which acts as the chief landlord for civilian executive branch agencies, confirmed the work in a letter last week to Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa, who says the government has not fully grappled with the host of questions about the barren office building. She says, quote, my office shares your concern. No, 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 this is Inspector General. He says, my office shares your concern about the effect of telework on the GSA, the General Service Administration's ability to carry out its mission effectively and efficiently. It says the Washington Times obtained uh, this, this letter, and this Inspector General says, my office plans to continue to devote attention to GSA space utilizations and our future oversight efforts. Now listen to this. The same guy has conducted groundbreaking work on water supplies that understaff federal buildings and found at least six with the bacterium that causes Legionnaire's disease, a type of serious lung infection. One case of the disease has been linked to one of those buildings. Investigators said stagnating water in buildings left vacant by the COVID-19 pandemic turned into a breeding ground for bacteria. This, ladies and gentlemen, is what I would call the law of unintended consequences from all these COVID policies, you know, social distancing, masks, and everything else. They never consider how much damage will be caused by their decision to go ahead with misguided policies. But we got these work from home, right? So it says every day this is put off, more dollars go down the drain to fuel the D.C. swamp. There's no better way to start paying off our nation's over $33 trillion in debt than a clearance sale on unused office space. I have a better idea. Why doesn't the Congress just defund these agencies? Let's get rid of them. Here's a perfect opportunity to get rid of all of this government waste. Sell these buildings. So it says GSA owns 1,600 buildings and leases space in 6,500 others, comprising more than 360 million square feet of office space that exceeds all the commercial office space in cities such as Los Angeles or Chicago. Check that out. So it says GSA told Congress this summer that it's working to figure out what office space it needs in the new remote work environment, but officials said completion of the study, get this, ladies and gentlemen, would require more congressional funding. So you're going to need more of our taxpayers' dollars to do the study, to fund the studies as to what to do with this vacant office building. You don't need to study this. Put them up for sale. Shut them down. Move out and stop putting new office furniture in them. You see, and and that's why I think this is interesting stuff to talk about, because this is the kind of stuff that goes on in Washington, D.C., that nobody knows about. We, the people, don't. we don't know about all this waste that goes on. And it goes on every day, and we're supposed to have congressional oversight over this stuff, and it's not happening, happening. and we have inspector generals, and we have all these other studies and accountability things 
Nothing changes. The government waste in Washington, D.C. is profound. Joseph M. Wanted with the Constitutionalist Politics. Tune in for the upcoming episode for May 4. Issue, never the issue, as well as, yes, Peter Serafin, Rosemary Downer, Don Gallade, Gista the Rapper, Cy Young, Jason Perry, and upcoming Jack Hagar, Andrew Thorpe King, Trent Rock, Ed Temple, Chris Morehouse, and more. Please tune in to Constitutionalist Politics. God bless. It's simply profound. So it says just 5% of the pre-pandemic workforce swiped in at a government lease office building during two months in 2022. 5%. Where were the rest of the people? They were at home. So anyway, this other, uh, uh, no, I'm talking about Joni Ernst. She highlighted the case of a manager at a Department of Veteran Affairs in Atlanta who posted a photo to social media bragging that he was logging into a work meeting from a bubble bath. You see, the, the federal employees, they joke about This is a joke. They joke about this. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. And they have the nerve. To post it on social media. This isn't one employee sending a, a, a you know private email to another employee. Posted it on social media. You know why they did that? They know nobody will do anything about this. Absolutely nothing. And they know they won't get in trouble for it. So Joni Ernst says it's time for Biden's bubble bath bureaucrats to get back to work or forfeit their expensive unused office space. First of all, this isn't just Biden bureaucrats. These are federal bureaucrats. These are Joni Ernst bureaucrats. These were every president before Biden's bureaucrat. These are bureaucrats. They move from one administration to the other. There's nothing you can do, very little you can do to get rid of them. It's very difficult, the process to get rid of a federal employee. And that's because of that misguided Supreme Court decision some years ago that rule that a government job is a property right. And then if you're going to take that property right away from them, they're entitled to due process. And what does that mean? Stonewalling, drawing things out, making it difficult to get rid of federal employees. That's what that means, but property right. And that you have to use ex- exercise due process. And as this article points out, Federal pay is often adjusted to compensate people who work in areas with higher living costs, but the employees who work remotely may no longer qualify for the added funds. It appears hybrid and remote working is now standard practice for the federal workforce. Why? Why are they allowed to get rid of to, to get away with this? And why is this allowed to continue? And it's both parties. But here's the thing, too, to close this topic out. Nothing will ever come of this. You know, three years from now, we'll hear news stories about unused office space and that it's a problem 
and costly to the federal government. Turning the page. Here's an idiot here, a Cornell University history professor, who makes some irresponsible comments. Out in public, again, you know, the left, they don't hide this anymore. This isn't under an assumed name or you know, a nameless, faceless social media post. This stuff is, is being done in plain sight, in plain view, plain hearing. So you got this Cornell University history professor who called the deadly Hamas attacks on Israel exhilarating and energizing. Associate Professor Russell Rickford made the controversial remarks during a pro-Palestinian rally near the Ithaca, New York University. Rickford said the Palestinian militant group Hamas, which is designated as a terror organization by the United States and other nations, challenged the monopoly of violence when it launched its surprise attacks on, er- on Israel earlier this month. So there are some groups that started a petition calling for his firing and said that the professor's hate speech is not only abhorrent, but also against the principles of humanity. Cornell University President Martha Pollock said in a Monday statement she was sickened by the statements glorifying the evilness of Hamas terrorism. Yeah, that's what she has to say. And again, I'm not asking for this guy to be fired, although Cornell could fire him. This is not a, that's not a government or a public university. They don't need to give him due process. I think it would have been appropriate for the university to suspend him pending an investigation, but you know, I'm not one of these, ah, he needs to be fired. I'm not saying he shouldn't be fired. Not what I'm looking for. Here's what I'm looking for, and the reason I bring this up. If during the post-George Floyd death, if some university president would have stood out publicly at a rally in support of the Minneapolis Police Department, and if he would have pointed out that George Floyd was a criminal creep who was convicted of a home invasion robbery in which he held a loaded firearm to the stomach of a pregnant woman, and then at the time of his being taken into custody by Minneapolis police, he was trying to pass counterfeit money in furtherance of his drug use. And if that same university president or even a student would have intimated, and even wrongly, that George Floyd deserved to die or if he would have in, or she would have intimated that he was a co-conspirator in his own death, that student would have been expelled, and trust me, the university professor would have been fired. And if that same university professor or, or, or another university professor would have attended a student rally during the George post-George Floyd incident and called out Black Lives Matter for what they are, a Marxist organization, a hate group, and would have blasted them, they'd have lost their job. So what I'm talking about here is the issue of free speech. If this Cornell University professor can get away with saying this, anybody who said anything disparaging about George Floyd 
or Black Lives Matter would have been punished, and they were. And by the way, law enforcement officers sharing posts disparaging George Floyd didn't create the post, just shared one that was out there. They're law enforcement officers that have been fired. So again, I don't really care what people say as abhorrent as they can get and ugly. I think there are moral and ethical issues. But it's got to go both ways. Because I've been very outspoken. Blasting George Floyd. He's a creep. And I've said on, on, in, in interviews on TV, the sooner we put George Floyd in our rearview mirror, the better off America will be. If, you, if a university president or if some corporate you know, CEO or high-ranking vice president, whatever, said what I just said, they'd have lost their job. Next story. Homeland Security had a loss to explain the hiring of a former PLO official for work on asylum cases. Only the federal government. So it says here, Homeland Security lacked answers Thursday to piercing questions about how a woman who worked for a designated terrorist organization and espoused virulent anti-Israel rules was hired to decide sensitive asylum cases and senior former officials urged the department to review every case she handled to correct her bias. The employee, Nijwa Ali, was put on leave late Wednesday by U.S. Citizens and Citizenship and Immigration Services, the department's legal immigration division, after her past work for the PLO and her anti-Israel social media posts were exposed. You see what I mean? These people do this right out in the open. So it says here, given the seriousness of having PLO asset and a mass supporter adjudicating asylum and other immigration cases, I would think that a forensic review of all her cases is urgently needed, said Emilio Gonzalez who was director of the United States, this, this immigration service, in the Bush administration. Ken Cuccinelli, who was acting director at USCIS, IS, and then acting deputy secretary of Homeland Security in the Trump administration, said she should be fired and her cases should be rechecked. He also said USCIS needs to answer for how it came to employ her in the first place. The problem is, no one will be held accountable for her hiring. And this is a story you will never hear from or about again. Only on straight talk do I raise these issues. Because this is not sexy enough. Hiring a PLO a member and supporter of Hamas into the, an agency or, or, or an office of the Department of Homeland Security. Ladies and gentlemen, I went through a background check. After Trump won re-election, I was nominated for an assistant secretary position in, in Department of Homeland Security, assistant to uh, secretary. I know what the background process is like. I underwent one. They look high and low. They checked all my social media posts. They even brought some of them up in, in the final report of the investigator that, well, he said this on social media and so on and so forth. They check every aspect. This should not have happened. This is malfeasance. It's neglect. This is how these subversives can infiltrate government. 
You know darn well that her attitude about Israel and her support of Hamas influenced her decision in these asylum cases. You know they did. It's human nature. So Cuccinelli says this shows an unbelievable lack of vetting on the part of the department and of USCIS. Given the mission of managing legal immigration, this woman is clearly not qualified and should be immediately fired. Problem is, she can't be immediately fired. Why? She's a government employee. If you're going to fire her, it's a property right. And she's entitled to due process, and that could take years. So she can't be immediately fired. But she should be immediately removed. And it says in here she's been... um, placed on leave, but it doesn't say whether it's paid or unpaid, and that's important. Is she going to sit for two years on paid leave? It also says here, Miss Ali had a lengthy history of anti-Israel comments online, including cheering on Hamas' savage invasion of Israel earlier this month. So she has a history of anti-Israeli comments online, plain sight, out in the open. So it says here, Congress designated the PLO a terrorist organization in 1987. So it was granted a presidential waiver to continue to operate its office in Washington. Why? Since 1987. We're going to designate them a terror organization, but give them a waiver to continue to have an office in Washington, D.C. That's like giving ISIS or Al-Qaeda a waiver after declaring them a terror organization. So it says here, it goes on that uh, this office here was closed by Trump. I'm talking about the PLO office. And Biden opened it back up. Can't make this stuff up. Ms. Ali is the latest black eye for this USCIS. Two years ago, federal prosecutors charged an employee with having lied on his naturalization documents. They said Carl Ifamibi first gained status in the U.S. in 2000 through a bogus asylum claim, and then in 2010 gained citizenship under that identity. Three years later, USCIS, the very agency he had defrauded, hired him under the same false identity. Ladies and gentlemen, the process doesn't need to be fixed. It's broken needs to be tossed. I know what it's like. They went through every aspect of my life, going back a very long time, including talking to people that I haven't seen in 25 years, you know, references. I'm surprised they didn't make me go for a proctology exam to see if I was hiding anything in my rear end. That's how intense the background investigation was for me to be cleared for a potential Department of Homeland Security position with top security clearance. And I I passed everything, and I got top security clearance. So when I read this, I'm like, how can this happen? Also, authorities have exposed a massive fraud ring being run with the help of two USCIS contractors who worked for the agencies overseas and who use their access to steal and sell deeply sensitive data on Iraqi refugee applications. See, these are the things, again, 
It's like with the employees and like the furnishing of offices. We never hear about this stuff. I, I sift through and I find these things. Just to point out, I'm not like surprised at this, to point out how deep and vast the corruption and the dysfunctionality of our federal government is. It's worse than you could ever imagine. Now, I'm going to close with this one. The irony of it is profound. Democrat senators introduced bill establishing Supreme Court term limits. First of all, full disclosure, I support term limits at the federal, state, and local level. You should not be able to make a career out of this. It's not what it was designed to be, not designed by the founding fathers. It was service, not career. Part of the problem that we have, more so because some states do have, they term limit their state and local officials, not every state, but the federal government has no such term limits. And these people sit there forever and they do nothing or they do great damage. Now we term limit our president. Two four-year terms, eight years, and done. I don't care how, what great a job they're doing, done. I don't know why they stopped there, but the fact that this group of Democrats, they're all Democrats, they, they co-signed the, the, the bill. This isn't going anywhere. But the thing is, we need term limits. Why didn't these eight or nine Democrats who co-sponsored this bill, why didn't they call for term limits of all D.C. positions, all of them, mayor, House of Representative, congressman, congresswoman, senator, any elected position, the federal government should be term limited. So it's, it's funny that they cherry-picked the Supreme Court. Why did they cherry-pick the Supreme Court? This is nothing more than a continued assault by the left and Democrat politicians on the courts. And the reason they're after the courts is because we have a conservative court right now. And they can't control the courts to accomplish anything that they can't accomplish legislatively. In other words, they know they can't accomplish a lot of their agenda legislatively, which is the way it's supposed to be done. Get Congress to pass it, and then we'll get it to the president and so on and so forth. So the Democrats have long used the courts. They go to court and they say, hey, this is not fair. And, then, and then these courts are stacked with liberal judicial activist judges, liberal ideology, pointed by Democrats, and oftentimes they win. But they, they, right now, they can't get by the Supreme Court. So this continued assault, now they're trying to suggest, well, we should term limit them. I'm not against that per se, but the bill should have said, Term limits for members of Congress as well. That I could have got behind. Thanks for joining me. Have a great week.
Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell and MyPillow are launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes MyPillow even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, and now with the brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. Say goodbye to tossing and turning and flipping your pillow over in the middle of the night. And more great news on the MyPillow 2.0. A buy one, get one free offer with promo code CLARK. MyPillow 2.0, with its temperature-regulating technology, is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio podcast square to receive the MyPillow 2.0 buy one, get one free offer. Just when you thought MyPillow couldn't get any better, it does. MyPillow 2.0 gives you the best pillow ever. Enter promo code CLARK, that's C-L-A-R-K-E, to get your MyPillow 2.0 now. Friends, I want to thank you for listening to today's episode of Straight Talk with yours truly, America Sheriff David Clark. And a special thank you also goes out to our sponsors. My goal, as always, is to break down these complex and many times controversial issues and bring it to you straight with a little dose of common sense, no media bias, no talking points, just truth. And this podcast would not be possible without your support. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite place to listen. And please share this message of common sense on social media. For more content, be sure to follow me on Truth Social, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And just a reminder, we'd love for you to join our Straight Shooters VIP Podcast Club for only $5 per month. And with that membership, you'll receive invitations to attend private podcast events throughout the year as a VIP guest when we come to your town. Plus, if you join today, you'll also receive a free coffee mug and a sample of our private label coffee as long as supplies last. Subscribe and join at America Sheriff. This podcast is brought to you by americasheriff.com with executive producer Judy Wilkinson of JL Wilkinson Consulting and producer Josh Wentz in partnership with our friends at Bulldog Media. If you are interested in partnering with Straight Talk Podcasts or having me speak in your area, please contact Judy at jlwilkinsonconsulting at gmail.com, 706-518-2116. That's jlwilkinsonconsulting at gmail.com. Phone number 706-518-2116.